0: Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz Podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God, and experiences love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is Love People, Loving People to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. really about
1: drug addiction, or alcohol addiction, or pornography addiction, or those types of things. We're really talking about our addiction. Uh, in the American culture specifically, um, to busyness. It is the cult of culture. It is this destructive uh, cultural phenomenon that has seeped through, um, even into the church, but it has seeped through the media all the way into the fiber of our DNA as America, as Americans, over the last several centuries. And uh, it has has rendered a lot of people... um, at the end of their life wondering, what have they done? What have they done with their life? Um, and so I, I literally had a conversation with a few people this week that I haven't seen in a long time. And uh, so we were sitting around the table, and we were having these conversations. My wife was next to me, and I, I the one gentleman was was speaking of, many things and so then I asked him about his wife because I hadn't heard about his wife and I said so how's your wife doing oh she's good oh she's been busy really busy I said yeah yeah but she's been good guy across the table I said hey how's your wife been doing well you know she's been busy She's good. Good, busy, busy. Good, good. How many of you have answered that 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 same question? Oh, I've been I've been busy. I'm good, but I'm I'm busy. When Amy and I were in in Miami uh, for the evening before we flew out to Cuba, I, I Facebook messaged my my cousin um, Michael, and I actually asked him if I could use our Facebook conversation this morning. Uh, he said, "Sure, why not." So I I Facebook messaged my cousin because he lives in Miami. He's been down there for about two years. Um, He's at the University of Miami, at least at that point I thought he was, because he was recruited um, in some capacity because of his expertise as an uh, autopsy and as a coroner up in Cleveland in Cuyahoga County. And so he'd been there for for a couple years. And so through the conversation, the back and forth, why are you here in Miami? How long are you going to be here? What are you guys doing? Why are you leaving Miami, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I said, so, Hey, are you still, are you still in Miami uh, or at the university of Miami? And he said, uh, no, not, not anymore. I said, really? He said, yeah, um, I kind of was caught flat footed and, and so I'm no longer there. And I'm really trying to, to get my, my, uh, feet and some traction in acting and I'm writing a script and he's been doing acting for many, many years, um, and he's been in several different films. And I, I said, you know, that's awesome. Congratulations. And I, I said, set the past on fire. You know, set it on fire and go forward. And uh, then he he said, you know, I've been really praying a lot lately for guidance and insight. He comes from a Catholic background, and that's fine. And uh, he said, I've been I've been praying for guidance and insight. And, I'm actually praying for a few bigger things. And and I said what I have said to you many, many times. You know, pray prayers as big as our God. And then he made a statement that was theologically incorrect. I mean, I am a pastor. I do kind of think about those things. But then I, after I thought through it, it, it provided profound insight to the human condition And our relationship to our Creator and our understanding of God. He said, and I quote, I'll read it for you because I don't want to mess it up. I never wanted to ask too much. I always knew he was busy. Have you ever wondered, maybe not because I I often wonder this, that we attribute things to god that are on and put things on god and project things on god that aren't his for instance i failed i am a failure therefore god failed me i failed i'm a failure god failed me we project our attitude our thought to Him. Another one is that you say that God is love. The Scripture says God's love. But everybody that I've loved in my life has abandoned me. So I don't believe God is love. Or if He is and does love me, He will eventually abandon me. We often attribute things to God that aren't actually His. And my cousin, he's American. And he projects on God what we actually are. Our busyness. We project our busyness on God and believe that God is too busy for us. You ever wondered that? You ever wondered that? And so I asked the question, Is it any wonder that God being the God of peace and He says that He wants peace for us, peace I give you, is it any wonder that peace is so elusive and seems to evade us? And that God Himself has come to set us free and we sung this morning about my chains are gone, I have been set free. Yet, So many of us live such caged and enslaved lives. Paul says this in Galatians, and I'm actually going to move forward here. Paul says this in Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That sounds great, doesn't it? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You ever read a scripture? And you go, yes, I love it. But what do it means. Yes, it sounds great. But it sounds like he's saying the same thing twice. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. woo But I don't know what it means.
0: And then when I really look
1: at my life, am I really living a free life? Is my life been set free? So I had to think about this for a second. And so I I created the Ambrosian version. Okay? Ambrosian version. (laughs) On sale tomorrow. In no store and not online. Christ set us free from sin to live a life of freedom. We have been set free from sin to live a life of freedom. Kind of makes sense now a little bit why, why there's a little double talk. See, this is, this is when Jesus Christ is on the cross and He has been nailed to the cross and He is in front of all the mockers, in front of those who have crucified Him, but He's also in front of those who dearly love Him, His mother, John the disciple, and several other women that are mourning and watching Him on His deathbed. Did you know that this is actually the most free moment in Jesus Christ's life? This is what He came for, right? He came for this moment. He came for His death. He came for the crucifixion. Because He knows that in the end, He's going to rise from the dead. And in His most free moment, He knows that all of mankind, all of humanity can become free, could be free as a result of His most freeing moment. Yes? However, there are many of us who have been set free in Christ. Who have received Jesus Christ in our life. But use our freedom to make choices that enslave our life. We ask the question... Why is the peace of God so elusive in our life? We ask the question, if we declare freedom, if we believe that we are free, then why don't we experience the freedom that God so freely wants to give us? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But we never really acknowledge that Our choices, the decisions of our life, have actually bound us. They have bound us and enslaved us and put the burden back upon us. And therefore, we no longer can say that we live a free life and the peace of God. Evades us and so is so elusive from us. We look for it and we can't find it. Now, there are a lot of choices in our life that we make, a lot of them. But today, I want to I want to address the choice of busyness, of filling up our life with everything that actually steals life from us. I want to talk to and have this conversation with us about everything that we fill our lives with that in fact empty us of the meaning of our life. Did you know that we're meaning hungry creatures? We are. We write narratives in our minds. Now, when I was thinking about this, I was like, I was thinking about a nice spring day. How I long for that! Oh Jesus, please make it happen soon. A nice spring day. It's warm enough where you can go outside, and you go out and you sit, sit on the grass, and you lay down. You ever did that when you were a kid? You sat on the grass, you laid down. And you looked up to the sky. And there are those white, puffy, amorphic vapors that we call clouds that float on by. That literally have no defined shape. They're actually shape-shifters. Clouds are shape-shifters. Yet, as you have your hands on the back of your head and you stare up into the clouds, your mind actually tries to define what is undefined and you try to think about what those shapes are. Man, that one looks like a dinosaur eating a human being. That one's a rabbit. And a rabbit, and a rabbit, and a rabbit, and a rabbit. rabbit. Wow! There's a dragon. We are meaning hungry creatures. Step inside someone's tragedy. And at some point in that time, you will hear the question, why? Why did this happen? I heard it yesterday morning. Why did this happen? Why? We are meaning hungry creatures. We are designed. But here's the kicker. Though we are meaning-hungry creatures, if the story isn't laid out for us, guess what we do? We fill in the gaps of the story. We create the story ourselves. So, we are meaning-hungry creatures always looking for meaning. And part of the problem with our lives being so busy is that we find meaning in the busyness, right? Think about it for a second. Being busy is activity. Activity uh, gives the illusion of importance. And in fact, our activity produces bank. Our busy makes bank, right? And bank buys things. And therefore, things give us the illusion of importance and identity and value and worth. Think about Christmas. Christmas just was less a month ago. About a month ago. How many of you are still playing with the toys that you receive? Or the things that were given to you? We put so much value on things. We find identity and busy. And so, we create the narrative and we fill in the gaps with our own truth and with our own understanding and we try to find meaning in that but the fact is when we fill our life with things with busyness we're actually taking away the meaning and the purpose of our life and so is it any wonder why many of us have come to the conclusion or have thought about ourselves that I am not good enough or I can never do enough Have you ever thought that About yourself I'm not good enough I can never do enough And we put that I'm not good enough for my friends I'm not good enough for my families I can't do enough for my boss And for those perfectionists out there Because I'm a recovering perfectionist You're not good enough for yourself Right Right We often attribute things to God that aren't His, right? And if we go into this idea of do, 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 more, 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 and we come to the idea that I am not good enough and I can never do enough, then we put this and project this on God and say, I can never do enough for Him. And I am never good enough for Him, so why try? Have you been there? Have you thought about that? We easily forget that we are free. We quickly forget that we are free merely because we've allowed our lives to become enslaved and burdened. For as long as you are a slave, you will forget that you are free. You will forget that. And so, the disciples, they kind of had this moment. So if you would, open up to the book of Mark. They had this moment that, I don't know, just resonates with our lives. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And uh, we're going to start with verse 30. We're going to read a few sentences, and then we're going to jump down. Not that I'm pulling and skipping things, but the story. I want us to get to the the story here. And the front end is some background. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And we're going to read 30 through 32, and then we're going to jump. The apostles, It's another name for the disciples. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all they had done and taught. So let's pause there for a second. All they had done and taught. Jesus actually had sent them out, gave them authority to cast out demons and spirits in His name and to teach. And so they went out two by two to villages all around. And then they had come back and they reported to Jesus what they had done and taught. But, while they were out and about, something happened, something traumatic and dramatic. Jesus received word from John the Baptist's disciples that John the Baptist, who is Jesus' relative, and we often call him his cousin, John the Baptist was beheaded at the hand of Herod Antipas. Jesus received word that his relative has lost his life. And in fact, we know that two of Jesus' twelve, before they followed Jesus, were disciples of John the Baptist and knew John fairly well. So Jesus had received this word. And when His disciples came back and they, they said, this is all we taught, this is all we done, this is what we did in Your name, Jesus. This is verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, come with Me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some what? What did He say? Get some... Say it again. Get some... Get some... There you go. I'm glad you're awake. Congratulations. Maybe you're getting rest right now during the sermon. If that is correct, then good for you. You may need it. But to get some rest. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. We're going to skip down and we're going to go to verse 45. And I'm going to. Clear up the gap because you're wondering. We're meaning creatures. We create stories. Let me fill in the gap for you. After they got into the boat, people spied them out. And they followed them. So many people that the scriptures call it, there were about 5,000 men. Not counting women and children. So there were probably upwards to 10 possibly 15,000 people. One man, one wife, maybe a kid. Five times three, 15. Congratulations, you've had your math for the week. And this, at this time, Jesus began to teach and heal. And at one point, he said, hey, they're getting hungry. You feed them. And here we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000, where the, the disciples and Jesus Fed these 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, however many you want to count it, with five loaves and two fish. They were part of a miracle. And after this miracle, after a long day of ministry, two by two, they come back. They receive word that John the Baptist had been beheaded. And Jesus says, let's go to a solitary place. But in that solitary place, when they haven't eaten anything, here comes 15,000 people. You go minister. Now you go feed. This is where we end up in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came the boat was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land he saw his disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night he went out to them walking on the lake he was about to pass by them but when he saw them when they saw him walking on the lake they thought he was a ghost they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the lows. Their hearts were hardened. Would you mind bowing your head with me just for a second? Jesus, I I come before you for all of us. We all come before you. We truly do ask that your scripture and your truths speak deep into our soul, into the fibers of our DNA, and that we allow you to transform us and that we are intentional to choose differently in our life. Lord God, we love you. And we want more of you. But help us make room for more of you. To have margin to where you can enter in. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So it's here. It's in this moment. It's been after a long day. I don't know about you, but I have long days. Do you have long days? Yeah. Long days. They ministered. They taught. They casted out demons. They came back. They heard word of John the Baptist's loss of life at the hand of Herod. They didn't have enough time to eat while they were ministering do you ever go through the morning and then to the afternoon and it comes around 2 or 3 and you realize you haven't had a lick to eat? Yeah. Then Jesus says, hey, come by yourselves and let's go get some rest. Then a crowd shows up. You parents of kids, toddlers, you know what what we're talking about. The only time that you have rest is when you go into the restroom and then you hear, Mom! 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 Hey, Dad! Hey, Dad! Hey, Dad! There is no silence. There is no peace. There is no rest. Thankfully, some of your kids will knock. Others will just enter in. Right? But you go and you try to choose the rest, but there is no rest. And then there's more to do. And so... The disciples minister and they feed. I don't know about you. We fed about 50, 60, 70 people in here for funeral dinners. That takes a lot. I can't imagine five, ten, fifteen thousand people. Now they've come to the end of the, the day, close to evening. And Jesus says, get in the boat and go over to the Seda. Well, first question is, Jesus, how are you going to get there? And what does Jesus do? If you look at the scriptures, you look at the story, Jesus kind of does this dismissing party. He shakes babies and kisses hands. Or kisses hands, shakes babies. I don't know. Um, But he dismisses the crowd, kind of like the wedding reception. They hug, they shake hands, they go. But Jesus, it's really interesting what he does here. And we need to catch this. Jesus goes up onto the mountainside. He goes up onto the mountainside to pray. And Mark, Mark clearly says that Jesus can see the disciples straining at the oars. Now let's talk about these disciples for just a quick moment. We know from the Gospels that at least four, four, Peter, James, John and Andrew Peter and Andrew are brothers James and John are brothers we know that these four are fishermen this is their jobby job before they met Jesus this is what they did meaning they've been on this lake before time and time and time again at night and as evening comes they're in the boat This is their playing field. This is where they're comfortable. This is what they know. And so what do they do? They do what they've always done. They row. And they row. But, as is common with the Sea of Galilee, and if you're curious about the Sea of Galilee, Grand Lake St. Mary's is, uh, I believe, nine miles long by three miles wide. The Sea of Galilee is 9 miles wide, 13 miles long. So just flip it and add to it. You can see the other side. From side to side, you can see the other side. So Jesus literally could see his disciples straining at the oars, even at night. And as is common with the Sea of Galilee, the winds pick up. Just kind of out of nowhere. It happens all the time. And what happens? The waves begin to push and buffet against the boat. And so, what do you and I do when things get tough? We do what we know how to do. What does your do look like? Their do looks like rowing. And they continue to row. And they continue to row. And they continue to row. It's really interesting how, there we go. The white lettering in the, in the scriptures are from John and Matthew. We're looking at Mark, but John and Matthew actually talk about this scripture. And at the fourth watch of the night, you know how far they rode out? To the middle of the lake. John gives us a little bit more specifics, about three to three and a half miles into the lake. The fourth watch, if you're really curious what a fourth watch is, first watch is from 6 to 9 p.m., According to the Romans. Second watch is 9 to 12 p.m., or a.m., according to the Romans. Third watch, 12 to 3 a.m., according to the Romans. Fourth watch, there you go, 3 to 6 a.m. You talk about a long day,
0: they had a longer
1: day. They're tired, they're exhausted, and now they're straining at the oars. Literally, this is excruciating for them. They have put in all effort and they are in pain to row. That's what the text says. Now, I don't know about you, but the scripture never says that the disciples stop. The scripture never says that the the disciples look at each other and go, What are we doing? The scripture never says, Hey, guys. You remember that miracle that happened when we fed the 5,000 with Jesus? Why don't we call on them? No. What do they do? They row. They do what they have done. Folks, we all are doing what we have done. And Jesus is watching this in full view. And he's praying. He's interceding on their behalf. And at the fourth watch, what happens? Jesus begins to walk on the same waters that are throwing the boat, that are causing them excruciating pain, the same waters that they can't get through. And it's really interesting. Mark says that Jesus was about to pass by them. I've always wondered Matthew is a disciple of Jesus John is a disciple of Jesus Matthew and John are both in the boat and if you read Matthew's account and if you read John's account neither one mention that Jesus was about to pass by them the only one that mentions this is Mark Mark who isn't a disciple of Jesus, but he later comes to know all of the disciples of Jesus, knows them very well. Mark says he was about to pass by them. Why was he about to pass by them? Because they were busy doing what they've always done. They weren't looking for him. They weren't looking at all. Busyness has this tendency to be a thief. And you know, we're complicit. When we fill our lives with so much that there is no rest and there is no pause. we have a tendency to miss Jesus. And notice, He was about to pass by them because of their busyness. Jesus was going to the destination. Jesus was going to where they were supposed to go. And what the disciples didn't realize, that the only one that can get them to where they need to go was the one that was about to pass by them. Folks, you have a hope and a future. All of us do collectively as the body of Christ. Because that promise isn't for an individual. It's a promise for people. But also we take it individually. We have a hope and a future. We have a life that God has created us to live. But in our busyness, we fail to see that it is Jesus. It's he who is the one that gets us to where we need to get to. Not what we do. Our value is not in what we do. That is not where you are important. That is not where your identity lies. It's not where your worth rests. And wouldn't you know it? What happens when they actually see that this is Jesus walking by? What do they say? It's a ghost. And they were terrified. Don't we often project things onto God that aren't actually Him? God is not too busy for you. We're often too busy for God. We're filling our life with things that don't allow us to reflect and rest and receive the peace and the freedom that God so freely has for us. It's really interesting what happens here. What does Jesus say? He says this, It is. Take courage. It is off. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Folks, it has been said many times here that courage is the absence of fear. Courage is... or courage is not the absence of fear. It's stepping into the fear, right? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Fear is the enemy of peace, folks. Now somebody else said that, not me. Somebody a lot smarter than I am. A lot more insightful than I am. But fear is the enemy of peace. And often, our busyness in life, it masks our fear of being vulnerable. Our busyness masks our fear of asking for help. Our fear of being perceived as weak and lazy. It masks our worry. Fear masks that. Our, our fear of that our kids will not turn out the way we will hope them, they will be. Fear is the enemy of peace. Think about it for a second. How many of you are warriors in this place? Not warriors, but warriors. You cannot be a warrior if you're a worrier. You will never be a warrior if you're a worrier. And when you worry, your worry is based on fear. It's this projection of the future, a negative projection of your future. Oh, this is going to happen, or this is going to happen, or this is going to happen. Fear is the enemy of peace. And we have come to believe in the church. Maybe not here. Maybe not here. But we have come to believe that... If I just have Jesus in my heart, and if I attend church um, every so often, I don't know if you know, we actually meet here every Sunday. um, But if I attend church every so often tonight, I say a prayer here and there. The peace of God that transcends all understanding will miraculously and magically just whoosh right into your life. That's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true for us. In fact, the peace of God actually comes in pause. The peace of God actually comes in the rest. The freedom of God comes from the pause and the rest in your life. Because in the rest there is reflection. Reflection. Now, I don't know about you, but I've talked to many people that are not believers in Christ, that don't go to church at all. And one of their fears with church is that the church just wants my dollar, wants my bank, because all they talk about are tithes, offerings, and you give this and you give that, and talk about money and possessions. Quite frankly, we need to have these conversations Because God does care about what you do with what you have. You are a steward of that. However, I don't know if you ever noticed this in the Scripture, but God actually demands more of your time than your tithe. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Sabbath is one day. The word tithe means tenth. Means ten percent. So we link tithe ten percent, ten percent of your income. But when you start to do some ma- mathematical calculations, that that isn't like Common Core. You actually realize that when G- God says, "Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy," God is demanding fourteen percent of your time. He's asking of you to give 14% of your time. Now, 10%, 14%, which which way does the greater and lesser sign go to? I don't remember. It goes, the greater sign goes to 14%. He demands more of your time. Why? Because in your time is the pause. In your time is the Rest in your time is the reflection. And in that comes the peace and the freedom of God. Folks, the peace of God, and I know this is going to sound weird, the peace of God comes only to those who will fight for it. Have you ever thought you will fight for what you want or what you will defend. How many of us in this room are fighting for the peace of God in our life? You will put that energy in to fight for the peace of God in your life, for the freedom of God in your life. We've got to be warriors to fight for the peace of God in our life. Think about it for a second. If you want the peace of God and you want the wholeness of God, you want the fullness, you've got to fight for it. You have to choose to stand in the freedom. You have to be willing to understand what is wise and unwise in your life. You have to be willing to understand the consequences As a result of your yes and your no. Did you know there's actually freedom in your no? There is freedom in your no. But there's also freedom in your yes. So, neither the peace of God or the freedom of God is passive. It's not passive. So, this conversation about busyness... It's not just about your calendar. It's not just about the things that you fill in the slots of your life. It's not just about the events that you take your kids to. It's really about your heart, about our heart, about our freedom, about our peace in life. It's about our wholeness and our holiness. Busyness is a thief, and it steals from us. It steals from us time for character and integrity. And so, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Folks, you can receive Jesus, but still be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Today, I hope that as a result of this conversation... That you choose to be free. Not just choose Jesus, but choose to be free in Jesus. And so, what do we do? Now, I asked this about, I don't know, three weeks ago. And Matthew, I think, asked two weeks ago, hey, did you do it? Sit and listen and produce nothing for five minutes a day. When I listened to a sermon, I didn't get to see your hands. So I'm really curious. Did anybody try this at all? All right, raise them high. <laughs> now, how many stopped after a day? How many continued like two days? Keep your hands up. Three days? Four days? woo Five days? All right. How many of you in the first like minute were just like, can't stand my pastor. You were cursing me out, but you weren't using explicatives. Because you go to church, right? Alright. Here's the deal. I know this is difficult. Trust me. I know this is difficult. Matthew and I have not been talking to you about things that we haven't been dealing with in our own life. We haven't been reflecting on in our own. still challenge you. Sit, listen, produce nothing for five minutes a day. You might have said, well, how many succeeded and how many failed? But let me just tell you, if you choose not to do this, that's a failure. But if you choose to step into this, that's a success. That's a success. But along with that, I'd like for you to engage in conversation in Scripture. Engage with God. So, not only in those five minutes, I'm going to challenge you that as this becomes a part of your life, remember, 14% of your time, that's one day. The peace of God doesn't just happen in one day. The peace and the freedom of God will happen over time. It happens in the process. like for you to engage in gratitude, conversation, engage in Scripture. Allow yourself to sit and then go and engage. But here's the real hard part. You thought sitting five minutes without producing anything is hard? This is the hard part. Reflect and write to heal. Um, In her book, Rising Strong, Brene Brown, and I'm wrapping it up. Dr. Brene Brown actually quotes a researcher from the University of Texas in Austin um, by the name of James Pennebaker. And he wrote a book called Writing to Heal. And she says that I've seen the power of expressive writing in the healing process. What he says is emotional upheavals. Emotional upheavals touch every part of our life. I don't think anyone in this room or listening to my voice would disagree with that. Emotional upheavals touch each one of our lives. You don't just lose a job. You don't just get divorced. These things affect all aspects of who we are. Our financial situation, our relationship with others, our views of ourselves, our issues of life and death. Riding helps us focus and organize the experience. And then she says, Pennebaker believes that because our minds are designed to try to understand things, we are meaning hungry creatures that happen to us. Translating messy, difficult experiences into language essentially makes them graspable. Folks, in other words, Habakkuk says, write down the revelation. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. Write it down. It doesn't have to be long sentences. It can be shorthand. But just write down your reflections of who you are and who God is. Because I guarantee you, as you do this, over time, you yourself begin to heal on the inside. Because you've engaged with God You've quieted yourself. And you've reflected. You've rested. That's where the peace and the freedom of God comes from. So that when those disastrous experiences happen in your life, you have done the rest and you have done the reflection, you have written, and you can step into those and the peace of God that transcends all. All understanding will actually flood you because you've engaged and you've paused and you reflected over time. So, would you please stand? And uh, I'd like for you to bow your heads for just one moment. Close your eyes. And uh, I want you to have a conversation right now. I would like for you to have a conversation with God about what we have just talked about. So would you do that? Just take 30 seconds, have a verbal conversation. You know some of the changes you need to make. Some of the choices you're making. seconds felt like a long time, didn't it? God, we come to you collectively as the body of Christ. We know that you're not too busy for us. Your scripture says you have more for us. But Lord, there has been no margin in our life for more. Lord, help us choose freedom and peace by choosing pause and the pace of Jesus Christ. The rest that we need to have in our life that it may provide reflections and insights, conversation, illuminate the text and the scriptures that is the living word of God. that You reveal in the reflection and in the rest about our own life and our own heart. So Lord God, for all of us in this room, for all of us listening, God, may we choose to break off the chains that we have set upon ourselves, that we have chosen, so that we may have freedom in You. And that the peace of God can really rest in us. That when we enter rooms, people just sense there's a peace about us because it's you in us. Father, help us choose what is wise and not unwise. Help us see the consequences of our yeses and the consequences of our no's. We thank you that we have been set free from sin. And we thank You by Your Holy Spirit who will empower us that we will choose to be free. That we will not add any more yokes of slavery on our life. Father, we love You. We thank You so much for who You are because You are the God of peace and the God of freedom and You want that for us. It's in Your name, Jesus Christ, that I pray today, that we pray today. Amen. For all of you that, uh, for all the ladies in the room, teenagers that are uh, young ladies and uh, middle-aged ladies and seasoned vet ladies, there's tapestry tonight. There's a tapestry dinner right over there at 530. There's going to be some worship. Uh, this is for you. This is for you. And uh, they got a lot of cool things and opportunities to do good over the, the year planned out for for you. And so you're invited to that tonight at 530. Um, there is no encounter tonight, uh, so if you are in encounter, pray for them. Uh, pray for our tapestry. And today, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and will you please love your neighbor as yourself. Have a good
0: day. We love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future He has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community, and to love people to Jesus.